Welcome to the Eureka Moment. Lori Geary, this is exciting. We've known each other for about 10 years now. Yeah. And uh, I, when I first started doing the behavioral work, you were one of the first big teams that we worked with. And so it's going to be fun today to talk a little bit about how, because we've actually worked together quite a few times yeah, on a different lot. projects. Yeah. So it'll be fun to talk about not only the, how the behavioral work has helped you shape teams and, and been part of your career, yep. but uh, I think it'll be also interesting for people to hear about your journey, uh, vice president now in a major pharmaceutical company, um, at the same time managing family and children and and moving them all over the world, basically, to do that. <laughs> uh, so I think, again, it's an interesting journey, and I'm really looking forward to this discussion today. So welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So as I always do, start out with a little bit about, uh, tell us where you're from. Tell us a little bit about the, the, the younger years, if you will. Okay. Um, so I grew up in a really small town in Pennsylvania, um, very near the New York border. Uh, graduated high school of the smallest public school district in the state, actually, 72 kids. Um, so everybody knew everybody. And, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't really unusual for people to just kind of stay in the area um, you know, in, or in that kind of the surrounding urban area. Um, so I kind of had it in my head early on that I wanted to go away to school. Um, and then didn't realize how kind of underprepared I was to do that. So picked a college in New York that was about three hours away and wasn't huge, but, uh, really wasn't equipped to kind of go from 72 kids to 3000. Uh, and so left that school, uh, after a year and moved back closer to home and commuted for a little bit, kind of found my path through undergrad, uh, went into a healthcare major. I think early on, I was always interested in health and fitness. Uh, I was a cheerleader. I was pretty active as a young kid and was also a singer and a performer. But I think growing up in that kind of environment where, um, you know, it's just basically like, you know, money's a huge piece of, of, of that picture. So the prevailing thought in my head was, well, you're never going to be on Broadway. You're never going to make money as a singer. So let's kind of go to the next best thing that you have, which is your interest in health and fitness. So I talked about nutrition, thought about nursing, I landed on medical technology because I felt like that was the best of both worlds, uh, in a healthcare environment. And, um, that's kind of what started me on my education path actually. So, um, the social adjustment, did you have siblings? Do you I had one older sister okay. um, who was not really into college at all. Um, and you know, was more, she had worked in a bank for her high school career as kind of a part-time job and ended up just staying in banking and, you know, taking an associate degree program, but not really looking for that kind of quote unquote undergrad experience. And, um, you know, it was, it was just kind of how it was. It was feeling my way on my own a little bit in terms of what is college really like? What is, what do I want to do with myself? Um, yeah. So, um, how about your, your parents, a mm -hmm. lot of insight or perspective, were they able to give that to you as far as deciding? Because here you are sort of trying to decide science, healthcare. Yeah. Did they give you insight or was it on your own? No, it was mostly on my own. Um, my dad worked in, uh, he was a, he was an IBM sales guy for years, started with typewriters onto copiers then learned about computers and kind of went through that. So he was a technology person, uh, which, you know, wasn't really of use for healthcare and, and fitness. Um, and my mom didn't go to college. 
so didn't have a lot of perspective to give me other than, you know, they were very supportive in the process and we, you know, went around to schools and we, you know, I thought really at the time was making the best decision. And, and it hit me pretty hard. Actually. I, I felt, I felt like a failure. I felt like I couldn't hang. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get through it. And it was, it wasn't until years later when I finally realized that, you know, having the courage to make that decision and say that this isn't right and I need to walk away from this is something that, you know, I look at my own kids and I'd be really impressed with them if they stood up to me and said, listen, I've thought a lot about this and this isn't the path that I want to take. But at the time I just felt like I was letting everybody, including myself down. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's interesting now, uh, you have children yep. we'll talk about that, but, um, with our three children, seeing three very different children, and, you know, the, the, the oldest who's very driven and knew exactly what he wanted to do and has always sort of known. Yeah. Um, and the middle, not knowing, but having felt, found a way to figure that out and keep growing and developing as a person yeah. and doing it and not the way maybe dad would have done it. Yeah. But a way that's really working. <laughs> yeah, that's that, really hard to not put your, your thoughts on your kids. Uh, and, and to recognize that this path that they're taking is working, even yeah. though it wasn't the path that you had thought would be best. Right? right. And that's hard to accept as a, as a parent at times. It is. And, and I'm, I'm going through it with my son, just starting to look at schools now and it's, it's really overwhelming. And, you know, I, I try really hard to one, instill the confidence in him that you've got a long life ahead of you. And if you just look at my example, you know, there's been a lot of lives within that life. And <laughs> so, you know, the pressure, I think that they put on themselves, uh, you know, to, to kind of pick everything and get everything in, in a, in a line when you're a junior in high school is really difficult. Um, but at the same, you know, you want to push them, you want them to have a plan and to get the most out of what they're going to do in terms of a, of a college. But, at the same time, you know, you don't want to really create the stress on them to, by making them think this is a life or death forever decision. No, I think, um, you know, you know, because you're going through it now, when uh, our oldest Luke was going through the college tours for the first time and you're, you know, as a parent, you take them everywhere. Yes. Right. You take them to yes. every school and you go over the top yeah. with it. Right. And so he really wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. It didn't work out because yeah. of the budgeting with the Air Force cut back seats and gotcha. he didn't make it in, but he got pretty far along in the process. Yeah. And so then uh, he had applied, not really thinking he was going to need to, to other schools. So now he's going to go to plan B. Right. And so he had committed at Penn State and he comes home one night and says, I'm not going there. After he already committed that that's where he's going to go. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to go to university of Pittsburgh because they have a better air force ROTC program. Okay. And you know, as a parent, I'm, well, why are you making this decision? And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, dad, it doesn't matter. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's a big school. Do you think anybody's ever going to care whether my degree says Pitt, Penn state, Michigan, Ohio state? He said, it's, it doesn't matter in the end. It's what I do with the time where I go. And I said to him, That's pretty well, awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, and then he said, um, I said, well, what about a big city? You know, you, you, yeah. you know, grew up in North shore, Massachusetts. And he said, I can do anything for four years. It's four years. Yeah. So I think, yeah. And I think, I think resilience, I always tell my kids this, I think resilience is the greatest skill you can learn in life. Um, and you know, I always just say, no matter what happens, you will be fine. It may not seem like that at the time in the moment, 
that's a perfect example with Luke, like having to go to plan B, like that not working out. But that's something I don't think I work really hard on letting my kids experience that. And sometimes I worry with this generation that they don't experience that enough, that they don't have that opportunity to have a hardship and say, and you know, you know, you go figure it out. Um, it, it's a hard thing to say to your kid, but I feel like it's so important to do because otherwise you're, you're, you're not doing them any favors future self for their future self. Well, so a couple examples of that. My wife teaches high school and she said she's seen it in her 20 plus years of teaching that these kids are just not prepared to solve problems. Yeah. They just, because we've, we've protected them too much. Yeah. Right. So that's one example. But I think the most interesting example is we're here at the IB. We have a room upstairs full of MDs, PhDs. Some of them have two PhDs. Yeah. Very smart people. Yeah. So we're looking at the ratings for the sessions yesterday and they're all high. You know, they're fours and fives with the exception of the last session that's scoring an average of three because the session was you've presented an idea. Now find a team. There's 30 of you in your room and all of you have to be on a project team by the end of the day. Right. And their complaint is that they weren't given directions on how and which team to join. Ah, uh, yes. They had to figure it out themselves. Yes. Right. They, they didn't like that. So here right. are people that have 20, close to 20 years of experience yeah. and or education yeah. who don't like the idea that they're not told what team to be on. Yeah. yeah. They're struggling with that a little bit. Now, I believe it. That's interesting yeah. to me. I see. I mean, I, my management style is, is I am by no means a micromanager. I have actually had people that work for me tell me that I need to engage more. And through a lot of the work I've done with you, we've learned that. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, I, you know, I tell them all the time and, and sometimes they're senior level people and it's, you know, it's, and this is, you know, kind of spanning over the years. No, I want you to come with solutions. I want you to figure it out. And, and, and it's so, rewarding as a manager to see them work through that discomfort. And then the ones that really embrace it and come back and say, okay, I didn't really want to do this. I just wanted you to tell me what to do, but here I go. And this is what I think. And they, once they get over that hump and learn that they're not going to die, if somebody doesn't agree with them or that they may have missed some things, you know, it's 80% there it, it opens up a whole new world for them to go forward and how they're interacting in their teams and how they're interacting with their colleagues. And, and that's, it's just, you know, over the years as I've gone through and built a bunch of teams from the ground up, and that's one of my favorite, favorite things to do is build a team for that reason, because I love watching people come along that continuum. Well, and I think it's fun because I've worked with you now on a number of projects with a number of teams. Yeah. And when you leave a team, how sad they are. Right? <laughs> That's very nice of you to say. They yeah. are. They're just, we're going to miss her. She was so good. And we really, and I know it didn't always start out that way, right? right. Some of those teams, it took you a while to yes. develop that kind of culture. Yeah. Right. And exactly. And, um, you know, if I always like to refer back to the Google uh, article they published in February, 2016 on building high performance teams that the number one factor in a high performance team is the culture. Yeah. It's not the experience. It's not the talent. It's not the education. It it's not yeah. intelligence. It's the culture of the team. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've proved that over and over and over again with your teams. You can accomplish more than you've ever thought possible if you can get a team that is understand each other and is working toward 
a common goal and working to make the team better. It may not be their favorite thing in the world all the time. You know, I've had a lot of reluctant people over the years in terms of, you know, no, I, I really like to work by myself or, you know, I, this, you know, this team stuff really isn't my thing. And, you know, you have to respect where everybody's comfort level is, but at the same time, you have to really try to motivate them to want to see what's a little bit on the other side of that line. Mm. And some people are going to go into it with both feet. Some people, you, you know, you call it, you call it out in your workshops with the fence sitters and, you know, the red box. And I remember the one team when you said like, who in here is a red and someone raised their hand and you were like, no one ever raises their hand. <laughs> you know, like, and she was like, no, that's me. You know, I don't, I don't really buy into this. And, yeah. you know, just by saying that out loud, the team understands that like, okay, that's someone we need to bring along with us on this. Right. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. You, you can, you can accomplish things far beyond possible with, with probably far less expertise than you think you need, because if people believe in themselves, then they're able to really, I think, work well beyond. I mean, there's been times in my career where, you know, it's kind of like that fake it until you make it saying, but mm. there's been times when I've been like, I don't really know if I can do this, but, you know, just, but because of the person that I am, because of stuff I've worked on, I just have the mindset that then, okay, like I'm going to go figure this out. And if you have that mindset, then I don't really think there's anything that is an obstacle, truly. We're lucky. We live in a world where the access to information is at our fingertips, literally 24-7. Yeah. So having to know isn't as important as it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, where you just had to know. You had to read books and you had True. to educate yourself. Yeah. So if there's something you need to know, the ability to become a quick study, mm-hmm. okay, is available to us. So it's a different kind of engagement between the intellectual awareness and understanding of versus the application of the knowledge once you do know. True. Right? Yeah. So, and that's a dynamic that's changing as it relates to what we do with our children and how we guide them. Yeah. Right? It's not, you know, I told Maya, you're going to school for biology and economics, but you're going to learn how to learn more than anything Mm -hmm. and understand the relevance. I mean, that's why the combination of business and science is... I think of a great value because it understands the relevance of why am I doing this biology right. work? Why are we studying this right. thing? So let's talk a little bit now. You graduate from school yep. and you start to think about career paths. So where did you go? Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Went right into the hospital setting in a lab because I felt like that was the best of both worlds. That was giving me a patient connection um, with some of the point of care testing that was being done on the floors at the time and also kind of utilizing my degree. And I hated it. I, <laughs> I hated it so badly that I literally remember sitting in my apartment one day and um, I worked night shift. So I worked like four to midnight, which like added insult to injury. And then I, I still remember this day and this is so bizarre, but I was sitting on my couch at three in the morning, eating spaghetti, watching Princess Diana's funeral on TV. And I thought, this, what am I doing here? Like, this isn't for me. This isn't what I want to be doing. I didn't see that like immediate impact on my work. Um, and so I kind of made up my mind that I was going to start to look around in industry. Everybody kind of talked about industry at that point. Like, Oh, you should go into pharma. You should get into pharma. Uh, it was around like 97, 98, somewhere in that time frame. And, um, I kind of gave myself a deadline. I said, okay, if I don't if I don't find a job within the next six months, I am going to quit this job 
I'm going to go back to graduate school full time. And I waitressed all through high school. I'm like, I will figure it out. I will do something. And I, I'll move back in with my parents if I have to. Uh, I just don't feel like this, this is an effective use of my time. So I found a job um, at a small medical device company working in quality. And so I was doing the testing in their quality control lab, but also um, then moved into quality assurance, so more of a review type um, job. And then that kind of started, a, you know, it, it, into another quality job at another company. And um, I was very fortunate at that company to be exposed a lot. The company was growing very much at the time. So I always say this to people, but the, the company was growing faster than the infrastructure. So a lot of us got a lot of experience to touch a lot of things we mm. probably wouldn't have. And I think it's probably pretty relevant because you have a whole bunch of people here that are, you know, st from startups and things like that. So you, you become kind of jack of all trades. And we were working on a bunch of projects where I got a huge exposure to the business side and got more interested in that. Um, so decided to go back for my MBA and, um, at the same time moved into this kind of hybrid project management, product manager role within marketing because they needed people in marketing that understood the R and D guys mm. and they needed, you know, to kind of bridge that gap of products that were launching. So I kind of worked in between the marketing team and the R and D team. And, you know, at the same time started going back for my MBA. And then, um, that kind of put me more on the business side and then straight into marketing and since then, that kind of opened up a whole bunch of opportunities, um, business support, commercial excellence, um, you know, st straight up brand management. And so that's been kind of the bulk of my career the past 10 or 12 years has been really strictly on, on the business side. Thanks. And are you glad you made that shift? Do you enjoy that more? And you glad that you sort of moved out of the science side to the commercial side? I am because it's more for me. I'm, I, I always say like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an extroverted introvert because I love to be around people and I get a lot of energy from people, but I also need time by myself. And I think the balance of the lab, kind of the science positions and quality, that was more introvert. You know, that was 80% introvert position, 20% extrovert. I feel like through the years, I've been pretty fortunate to have a good balance of that where I'm able to, you know, really build and create stuff on my own, which is important to me on that introverted side, but I also really get energy from my teams. Mm. And so I feel like it's, it's not for me more about, it hasn't been as much about the actual day-to-day -day of the position as it has been about the teams. And then what impact am I making on the world, you know, in terms of public health, in terms of helping patients the, I have to, I have to, have pride in what I'm doing and what my outputs are, or I just don't feel right about it. Um, and I don't think I saw that enough early on in those quality jobs. Cause you were just kind of, you know, you were testing diagnostic test kits. You never saw the end result of anything. Um, so I think that's, that's been more important to me of, of recent years is, is what impact am I making with this job? Yeah. The, the, the being in the roles you, you're, you've been in over the, you know, most of the last 10 years, you had to, sort of develop a strategy to strategy to achieve an objective. Yes. Right. So, and then, and knowing that, you know, once we get there, okay, we've accomplished it. And then there's a metric, right? Did yes. we 
achieved our numbers or did we right. not, or did we make market have market penetration? Right. What was the uptake? All of those kinds of metrics that you look at. Yep. And, and that's, that gives you that sense of satisfaction that you've achieved what you set out to do. And when, like you said, with the team, when you get them to do it. And then the other thing too, so let's, let's, let's jump on that direction yeah. for a little bit. Sure. So um, you, you go through the Eureka program back in 09, so okay. 2009 was when we did the All first right. you, one. I, I trust you. I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> no, it was 2009. Okay. And that was an interesting project because it was a, it was a collaboration between Santa Fe and Merck. So yes. it was two big companies yep. where we did that. And um, so talk about that experience a little bit because I'm interested in, um, because I think a lot of things were going on there. Number one, you were working with another company, yeah. different culture. What was perceived as being the culture of those teams was different because sure. the data showed something very different than right. what everybody thought French company is this way, American company is this yep. way. And it was exactly the opposite of what many perceived. Mm -hmm. But tell us a little bit about your thoughts and ideas going back to that time. Yeah. So I've struggled over the years with a lot of, you know, I've obviously gone through my fair share of assessments and programs and development programs. Development's a huge part of, of who I am, uh, both on the personal side and, 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 and on the professional side. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a little bit of a development junkie. Like I'm always reading like three books at once. And then, you know, I see things and I'm like, Oh, that'd be an ac excellent course to take. But you know, time management wise doesn't always, uh, allow me to do that. Right. So I had, I, I, I admit I went into that program kind of a little bit, I had a little bit of a development fatigue at the time. I had experience with a number of programs. Um, I had had prior experience in, in, in my previous company with a lot of consultancy work and it was just, I was really tired. I was really tired of having hmm. quote unquote expert people tell me what I should be doing. Tell me how to organize things. It was, I was really tired at that point. And I remember coming out of that program and going back to work and saying, hands down, this was the best thing that I've ever done in my career because it was so enlightening and so actionable. Because a lot of the stuff I get, you know, I can get an assessment that tells me every single thing that's wrong with me when I'm under stress. I know that I've lived with me my whole life. Like I'm, I'm, I got it. I understand. Um, but to me, it was so actionable to come out of that. And it was like, this is something I can really use in my development plan. This is something I can really use with my team. And, and to have the, and the other piece of that was to have the teams look at that. And, you know, you always say the data doesn't lie and the data doesn't lie. And so to have people kind of initially go through that, Hmm, that's pretty scary that, you know, this is how it actually is. But then, you know, to know that, to go through the team report and to say, okay, well, now I understand how better to work with these people. I mean, it's just super valuable, right? It's not only, you know, a lot of assessments uh, and processes are around helping people understand different personality types. Right. Where we focus more on you optimizing your ability yeah. to be the best version of you. Right. Meaning, if you're a difficult person to get along with, why should that be on me? <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> right? Why is that my problem? Right. 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 When, if you know it, yeah. do something about it. Right. Right. Exactly. So we, I think, make that gap and delta between people 
easier to manage because we're not setting this expectation is you have to figure out my color. I'll figure out yours. Right. And then I'll see it on your door when I walk in and I'll know how to moderate myself. Right. Well, no, just don't be a jerk. Right. You know? And so that's, I mean, that's. You have to take accountability for your own behavior and how you're showing up. It's not, you're right. It's not the other person to understand, oh, well, you know, Lori really gets, doesn't, you know, if you're starting to go into a lot of detail, you know, her eyes glaze over. That's not on you. I mean, you can understand that about me, but it's up to me to say like, listen, can we tighten this up a bit? Can you kind of think about how you can present this to me in a shortened form? Because I have the attention span of a gnat and I need to understand it better. And I really work on listening. It's up to me to, to tell you that. So you're not like walking out of my office every day saying, I don't really think I got through. Like I, I presented her every last detail and I don't think that she understood any of it. Exactly. So yeah, no, completely agree. So in, in, the other part, though, is that we do have these dynamics of our personality that are hardwired. We yep. know that. We, that's why we have genetic traits and yep. learned traits. Yep. But I was, I was talking to a gentleman this morning, and he's uh, from Korea. He's here in the program. And there's a cultural dynamic that I think plays out in his data. But we were, we're talking about you manage some of these things, and the managing the energy, the impatience is hard. Right. We're both here doing it, trying to sit still and not move around so much that Whitaker doesn't say, exactly. hey, you know. Stay in the frame. I feel like you're doing better with that. Uh, I don't know about that. I think you're doing better. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not a competition between the two of us, even though we'll hear My competitive score is a 98. Yeah. Well, mine's a 96. Okay. You win. (laughs) But um, the the, the idea of of helping people balance is what's important, Mm -hmm. right? And and I want to talk a little bit about that because I've seen you do it yourself. We've seen improvements in like, you know, you know, if you're comfortable talking about interpersonal skills, I mean, you've really developed that. Right. But what I think is really cool is how you've helped people on your team develop it. Well, thank you. And I think that's, what's really extraordinary is that we always talk about this idea. You're not here to be a student. You're here to become a better teacher. Yeah. Right. I, I I don't need more students. No, but why would anybody want to be my student? What I hope <laughs> is that I impart some insight on you that helps you to become a better teacher. Right. And so I've watched for 10 years, you do that. Yeah. Right. So, um, so talk about a little bit, um, you have two children, Yeah. uh, you're married yep. uh, and you've taken, uh, responsibly in positions that have uh, forced you to leave the States, yep. go abroad, yeah. Europe, uh, tell us a little bit about a how you made those decisions, mm-hmm. and then how you navigated the challenges of that. You know your career, your husbands, the kids, yeah. because I think it's important. Women all trying to figure this out, and hopefully, my daughter will listen to this and gain some insight and perspective that will help her navigate it yeah. when she has to make those decisions. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I've realized, I think early on, I thought that, you know, you read all these books and you talk to people and and, and you're kind of looking for that formula. And I don't really know if it's such a prevalent term now, but back when I was kind of starting out my career, work-life balance was like the big thing. Everybody wanted to have a work-life balance. And I, and I hate it. I hate that word because I feel like it's not really a balance. It's not going to be the perfect world all the time. And I think people set themselves up for failure when they expect that Hmm. there's times where work is more important. There's times when your family's more important. And a lot of people don't want to say that out loud. They want to stand up and they want to say a family first, absolutely all the time. 
And that's not the reality. And I don't think it's the reality for anybody, man, woman, child, even, you know, if you talk about school and stuff like that. But um, for me, it's always been about, you know, the the end impact. And is this going to matter in the moment? Is this going to matter lifelong? What is is this going to matter for me on a personal level? Is this going to really matter for my kids? And I think they're not easy decisions. I think, cause at the end of the day, if you're saying like, okay, I'm going to miss the second grade play. Yeah, that matters. I'm going to miss the second grade play. I don't know if five years down the road, if it matters that I missed the second grade play. If, if I have a call that my boss wants me to be on at four o'clock in the afternoon, and I have promised my kid for six months that we're going to do something, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, that's it. I have to be on that call because my boss is on that call. I've really been disciplined, my, tried to discipline myself to, to really look at some of those things and to try to really think about it and to say, you know, how can I approach this? What are my options? And, you know, have I made the wrong decision some of the time? Probably. Yeah. If you ask my kids, they'll probably tell you, yeah, she missed stuff and it sucked. If you ask my bosses over the years, they've probably said, yeah, she's left early a whole bunch of times to go play field hockey. And sometimes we questioned her, you know, her dedication in, or yeah, coach, not play, please. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that what's important is that it's, it's what you feel is the right decision and, and, and to kind of stick with that. I think when you make the decision to, I stayed in the workforce. Listen, I never, I, I, I took eight, weeks off when I had my son, I think 12 when I had my daughter. Um, but it work was, it was, and is such a part of me. I knew, I knew deep down, I wasn't stay at home mom material. I knew that I needed externally. I needed development opportunities. I needed things to be a good mother to them. And it's a really hard thing to decide. I think either way, I think people feel like if they stay in the workforce, they feel like they're letting their family down. If they stay at home, they feel like they're giving up a career. And I kind of go back to that thing that I'm trying to instill in my son, like nothing's forever. You always have the opportunity to pivot and Mm -hmm. shift. And if you've made the wrong decision, which I have from time to time, you know, I, I've had positions where it's been really difficult from a family side and I've recognized that. And then the next step of that is kind of communicating it to sit down with your family and to say, listen, I know this really sucks right now. And you have to believe me that, you know, if I could manage this differently, I would, but this is the reality we're all dealing with right now. So like, let's form a plan. I'm a, you talked about the problem solving. I'm probably a problem solver to a default. I like solutions and very nice solutions for everything. And so I get really frustrated when I can't solve something, but sometimes there really just is no solution. Sometimes you just have to get through it. So, you know, for example, if I'm going to be traveling, I actually, I'll give you a really good example. When we moved back from Europe, it was absolutely the right decision for our family for a variety of reasons, for my husband's work, for the point the kids were at in school. Um, But the, the caveat to that was I was keeping a global job. And I was going to be on the road every other week. And it sucked. It sucked from a family perspective. I missed a whole ton of stuff. I would come home. I would be jet lagged. I would almost have to reintegrate into what was happening. Mm. I would have, you know, there were times where, 
you know, I knew the kids wanted me to be home. And there were times where I wanted to be home. But we all knew that going in and we knew the trade-offs associated with that. And that was one of those, this isn't forever. We're going to get through this. And then this situation is going to work itself out. I didn't have an immediate solution at the time. Mm -hmm. Over time, yeah, moved into a different role where there was very limited travel involved, you know, to kind of compensate for that on the back end. But I think that, I think that people, they have to be honest with themselves and they have to understand that it's, it's not going to always work out on both sides. And the sooner you accept that, and the sooner that you kind of engage your family in those discussions, I think is what makes it work. Um, I think everybody's looking for the, I'm going to please everybody, boss, kids, spouse, you know, outside world, because everybody's looking at you on Facebook and saying, you know, oh my God, you're traveling again. What about your kids? You know, everybody has a, a, an opinion. Right. Um, but I think as long as you, you kind of have that communication loop open, you're trying to look at things from different angles. I think you, you, may, you don't make the wrong decision a lot. I, it's interesting because uh, I, I was chatting with Tammy Dorsey before we did yeah. a podcast earlier. And she said, sometimes I haven't been a good mother. There wow. are times where I could have been a better mother, but I made a choice to go back to school and get my degree and pursue this. And she goes, I know that. Yeah. And she goes, you can't always be everything. Yeah. Right. And I know as a father, you know, I did a lot of traveling when the kids were young. Mm -hmm. Steph spent a lot of time with three little ones in diapers and no Kurt. You know, right. I was on the road and back then I don't know what I thought about it. I think I just did it because that's what the job was. A client wanted me somewhere. I went, I okay. just went right? right. And you did it. And then when I got a little older as the kids approached high school, I said, I'm not doing this. Yeah. I made a choice to scale back travel and it probably affected the business. I know it affected the business, but um, I did it because I decided that I needed that time as much as those kids needed me to be around and that it's a choice I made. Yeah. Now um, I think that's more profound and more challenging for women to do it. Um, it was something that I could control because when you're the boss, right, you, right. Can you can control it. Yeah. But there are trade-offs. There's always a trade-off, yep. right? And so I think that's an important message, I think, to people, whether they're male or female, about it's okay to realize you're going to sacrifice something mm -hmm. if what you've chosen is important. Yeah. It's okay to say I might not make as much money or the business won't grow as fast. Now, if you're running an entrepreneur and you have investors, that creates you know, they're like, no, we want you here 20 hours a day and no, you shouldn't take a salary. And you should, you know, those are dynamics play out when you're an entrepreneur, like this group upstairs, right, you're going to have to right. make those decisions. Yeah. But I think what's I've always admired about you is the honesty with what you're doing and the realization that it's not always perfect. And the idea that you, it's always within your grasp to change it. And I think that's an important point when you mentioned about the entrepreneurs, like, I think you have to be honest with yourself as to what this really is going to be. I think the worst thing you can do is to go into a situation or a job and say, you know, well, I know it's probably like, I'm going to be working 80 hours a week, but I can probably fix that as I go along. I think that's the worst thing you can do for yourself. You, I have walked away from opportunities and, and I've done so for very good reasons. Like you said, that you have, you know, you wanted to travel less. I think 
the worst thing that people can do is is not be realistic with themselves as to what a job entails, what a family responsibility entails to go into something. You know, I don't I don't want to discourage people from trying things, but to say that, you know, a job is going to be if I use my own example, 50 percent travel at minimum. And you think, well, I'm going to try to work on that over time and I'll figure that out. You're going to set yourself up for failure. Know what that is. Know what that's going to be. Make sure that your family knows what that's going to be. And, you know, one of the things we always talk about at home is, you know, how do you want your kids to show up? And and I and I talk to my kids about kind of how they're approaching things and how they're approaching decisions. And, you know, you, you get down this path of where you think there's only one right answer. And so if you, if you, if you're kind of, if, if you look at it as a black or white decision, then sometimes it makes it a little bit harder. But mm. again, sometimes you can't go too much in the gray. If that makes sense, you have to understand what the realities of the decision you're making are like, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to take this job, it's 50% travel. And this is what that, this means, you know, your kids aren't going to play eight sports that season because they got one parent to drive them. Right. You know, it's, it's all the stuff associated with that, that you have to really consider. And and I do, I do feel like it's, it's, I feel like society in general is a little bit harder on women for it. Um, Absolutely. No doubt about it. And, and, and more critical of the reality. I think, I think what bothers me the most is let's just have an honest conversation sure. about what the challenges are. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's you're trying, you have to make choices between bad and worse, <laughs> right? You do, you do. Meaning do yeah. I shortcut a trip, a business trip that could be beneficial to me and the right. organization versus that's just the reality of it. That's yeah. what it is versus do I miss my th- my kid's third game? Right. You know, that I haven't seen them play in two weeks. Right. Those are hard choices. We have to make them in the grand scheme of things. It's probably all going to be okay. Yeah. But um, it's hard for us to sometimes, I think, come and be honest with the fact that you have to make choices. Yeah. You just have to make them and you move on. Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's very true. And I think that I carried with me for a long time, what other people thought, you know, what other people thought I should be doing, what, you know, what, it, whether that be, you know, my friends, my family, my boss. And once you kind of turn that on and say, It's, it's, you know, it's the old saying, you don't know until you've walked a mile in a person's shoes. It's very, very true. And to be able to say for a long time, I would never have the courage to say to people, well, that won't work for me, or this is right for me. And you and I have had this conversation about, you know, right now I'm not relocating because the age my kids are at, you know, my son's in high school, my daughter's going to start high school and I don't feel it's fair to them to up and move during that time. They need to have stability. They need to be able to experience their high school as they want it. But for a long time, I was scared to say that out loud at work. I was always dancing around the question, Mm. well, maybe it depends on the opportunity, you know, until I finally said, you know, this is bullshit. Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, this is the reality of my situation right now. It's, it is what it is. And so now I've been very upfront about that. You know, I'm not going anywhere until these kids are out of school, um, because that's of, of big importance to me. And I think once you kind of get over that hurdle of, of, of 
being able to say things directly and somewhat unemotionally. And you, you know, you, I'm not a non-emotional person, so <laughs> this isn't really, um, this has been a big learning for me. It, it, it holds you back in a sense because then you're, you're always second guessing what you're doing. You're always trying to figure out a way to position things. So they sound quote unquote sound better. Um, so for me that, that you talk about Eureka moments, like my ability to learn how to do that and to actually just explain, even to say to people, that's not going to work for me. And, you know, whether that be volunteering at school or taking on an additional project, being able to stand up and say that, or, you know, pers- at the flip side of that, really pushing for something that I want to do and I think is going to be hugely beneficial for either my family, for me, for my career, for the organization. Mm-hmm is, was, has been a real turning point for me. Uh, I would say probably over the last five years. So five years, that's not all that long ago. No. Right. Mm -mm. And so now, uh, you've, you've, you've gone pretty far vice president within a a big pharmaceutical company, uh, not easy to achieve and you're still young, a lot of time in game (laughs) yet, (laughs) a lot of time in game yet. So, what are you thinking? What's the future? What's, where do you want to go from here? Yeah. So I think for me, I'm much more clear than I was earlier on in my career as to, it's not necessarily about what I'm good at. It's more about what I want to do. And I, and I think that that's, it's easier later in your career, right? Because you've accomplished a lot. It's harder when those opportunities come up earlier on that you're thinking it's not exactly what I want to do, but it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a level up or, you know, it's more money. And, it, and those are very real things. And, and I tell people that I mentor that, you know, sometimes, yeah, you know, you like your son, you can do anything for four years. You know, you can do anything for two years, take the position, take the position. It's a level up, you know, you have, you know, small kids at home and, and, and money, like I said, money's an important thing, but I think so. I think one of the things that I, I feel I've, I've earned a little bit is to now at this point to look at roles more selectively and kind of look at what I want to do in the future in terms of does this motivate me? You know, am I able to build a team? What is my team environment going to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really that's that's become such a big part of who I am and what gets me out of bed in the morning that I don't see, you know, if I did, you know, go to another organization, um, it would have to be in a role where I could have, you know, ability to manage and build a team and work with people on their development, because I'm really, really passionate about that. Um, at this flip side, you know, if I ever did something on my own, I think that would be a huge part of that. Um, I'm a probably, I should be done by now, but I'm not, but I'm getting certified as a professional career coach. And part of the reason why I'm not done is because I don't know exactly what I want to do with it. And, um, I, I've like probably procrastinated pulling the trigger on that final piece because I like to solve problems and I like to know exactly what I'm going to do with it. Um, but that was part of the reason why I went back, um, you know, took the course because I, I really feel like that's, if I look back on my career, those are the things I'm the most proud of is the team and the people and being a role model for others 
it's, you know, the, the work accomplishments have been nice and the projects have been nice, but I, if I look back and I'm honest, it's, it's the impact that I've had on those people over the years that I feel really has been my career accomplishment. I, I, I think, um, uh, if you'd asked me maybe, maybe 11 years ago, if I'd be doing what I do now, yeah. couldn't ever envision it. Yeah. Wouldn't have thought, you know, I was, I was on the business side. I was pricing drugs. I was negotiating contracts. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, doing cl- clinical trial process efficiency yeah. and managing teams and all that. And so now you look and I, I agree it's, it's building teams and seeing it's sort of exciting, like knowing you and I are sitting here and, uh, Alma, who's going to be doing a podcast with me later today, yeah. uh, was a student in our first IBE program. And now they just did a transaction on an asset. Yeah. They, they, she's got another asset she's working on. She's had a baby. She's gotten married. And I, I've sort of watched that progression and it's sort of funny. And I'll share this with her later. The confidence in her now yeah. versus three years ago. Just to see, she's a totally different person. Yeah, from that's a standpoint, awesome. just that, just that confidence, and it's just so well packaged. In that, it, it's it's not arrogance. It's just I, okay. I know I belong here now. Where three years ago, she, I don't think she felt like she was questioning. Well, I think I think that's a big reality. I think of 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 women in this industry, I think, you know, you, you gave me the percentage, I think when we last talked about percentage of women that are executives and 17%, right. I think um, currently the last numbers I saw. And I, and I, and I, and I kind of go back to that, you know, that the, the point I made earlier with ability to be able to stand up and say like, no, this is how I'm going to do it is a huge thing because there's, there's a big influence of kind of how things have always been done. And I think a lot of women give up. A lot of women give up because it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. And, and I don't think that we as, as kind of a, you know, a a cohort of women executives for lack of a better term should, should pretend that it is, um, you know, there's, there's strategies and there's solutions that you can put in place, but, you know, for me to, for me to say like, oh yeah, it's been wonderful because I've, you know, it hasn't been, there's been a, there's been a lot of crappy years <laughs> in that, you know, in terms of whether it was the job or whether there was stuff going on at home and, you know, you're figuring, you're thinking, how am I ever going to figure this out? And it's, it's really easy to say, all right, I've had enough. Like, I just can't do this anymore. Um, but I've always looked to people who've been able to make it work. And that's what I try to be for younger women coming up in their career. The person who's, you know, got a lot of black and blue marks, but, figured it out along the way and, you know, just know that you can too kind of, kind of thing. I, I, I also think too, um, it's, it's in the rear view window or mirror, excuse me. So it's behind you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so we know we went through it. We have, we've all had our ups and downs, yeah. our good years, our bad years, our struggles. We've all had that. Right. But then the other side too is, you know, a lot of it's first world problems. Right. I mean, the grand scheme of things, Mm -hmm. the problems that we're worried about. I'm glad you talked about earlier some of the the little things like the games and the little, because we make the little things, the big thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes it consumes us for the whole day when the reality of it is, okay, that's not a big deal. It doesn't even matter. Right. Right. Tomorrow I will care less about that, but that moment. And, and I always, I always tell, there was an example a couple of weeks ago. 
where this woman was on doing a feedback session and she said, um, this, she was in finance and she said, this guy came to sent me an email and she copied his boss, who is very senior in the organization okay. saying, why didn't this get paid? I know you're very busy, but could you please get it processed immediately? Well, the circumstances are that it, this is a Wednesday. Chuck's are counting on Tuesday. He's going to have to wait for the cycle. So it's not going out until next Tuesday. Right. And there's no way for her to change that. Okay. And he knows that. But by copying her the way he, and I don't remember the exact phrasing, but he made yeah. it sound like she didn't do something. Right. And she said, do you believe he did that to me? I said, he didn't do anything to you. She said, yes, he did. I said, no, he didn't. He didn't do anything to you. He was only worried about himself. He didn't think about you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. People said, are wrapped up in their, in their own issues. Yeah. yeah. I said, I guarantee he didn't think about, I'm going to screw her over. He just thought about how do I make it look to my boss? Like I didn't miss this one. Right. That, and it wasn't about you. So get over that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then we talked about what to do next. And I think she responded really well with an email saying, you know, our process, unfortunately, I'm so sorry, but she did a nice job. But I said, okay, now what are you going to do? Yeah. And she said, what do you mean? I said, you need to go talk to him yeah. and say, look, what you did was that was damaging to me. And mm -hmm. I know you didn't intend that. Right. Assume that he didn't. Right. But it's an opportunity to teach. Yeah. But I think sometimes we get caught up in ourselves, right? Yeah. I've done it. Lord knows I do it all the time. Or you don't address the situation after it happens. And then it, you lose that opportunity and you lose that, you know, that kind of can define a relationship. And, and I've done it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm perfect. I have, you know, said, well, you know, I'm not, I don't really like dealing with that person or I'm not, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really want to get involved in that. I don't, that doesn't solve anything at the end of the day because you're both then basing a relationship on assumptions that, you know, I'm sure I've done stuff to other people in that same email frame, kind of thinking about myself and saying, okay, well, this is, I, I need to figure out what the implications are for me, not really looking at the downstream, but I think addressing the situation then is the piece that, that becomes important there. Yeah. I've talked about this before, you know, I, cause I'm, you know, I have an emotional side to me and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty intense. And so somebody will send something to me and I'll type up an email and then I'll send it to Steph or I'll send it to Kyle and, yeah. and they'll say, do not do send not this, send yeah, don't send <laughs> delete that. it, delete it. Well, how do I fix it? No, you cannot fix what you just wrote. Just delete it. Yeah. But it's the emotion. And then, you know, the next morning I don't feel that way at all. Right. But in that moment, and yeah. we all, we all can, and we're all capable of that kind of reaction. Um, so, um, so you've got a, sort of a new, perspective, yeah. a new insight as to where you want to go, what you want to do. Um, kids are doing well. Yeah. Everybody's doing well. They're doing well. Yeah. Um, your husband is settled back in cause he's, um, is chef, he, right? No. Or, well, sorry. he is my chef most right. of the time, but, right. um, uh, a, so funny story, just an aside on that. He had to have, uh, eye surgery and I promptly ordered like home chef food delivery. Like, yeah cooking for dummies, like just put everything in one pot and make it. Kitchen's not really my, not really my jam, but, uh, no, he's actually, he's a pathology assistant. Okay. Cause I think I can't remember. Why did I think that? I have no idea. I don't Maybe know where because I, I talk about all the great meals he makes all the time. Cause he's a fantastic I, I cook. No, but. That, I, okay. So go on and tell. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, a, it's good. Yeah. He, I mean, he quit his job when we moved to Europe for three years. Um, and I think that it was a huge sacrifice, uh, because if you looked at it from mine and the kids perspectives, 
yeah, our lives changed dramatically, but we still had that anchor. Like the kids still had school. I still had work. His life changed 180 degrees. You know, he went from, you know, working a pretty intense job to living in a foreign country and being a stay at home dad, which by the way, every other expat family, the dad worked. So, you know, my kids were in an international school predominantly was, you know, they were there for the dad's job and then Mr. Mom. Yeah. There were the moms. And so I, I have said this time and time again, like I don't ever underestimate the importance of what he did for that, for us to have that opportunity. Um, because that was a huge, obviously a huge family decision, not just for our family, but for our extended family alone. You know, we didn't take that lightly and boy, you want to get reactions from people. (laughs) That's a good way to get reactions from people. Um, it was that, that part was fascinating to me. I always remember I had one friend, um, who said to me, you know, I got to be honest with you. I think it's amazing, but I'd be scared to death and I never did it. And I thought that was such a cool response because she was really brutally honest because you had a lot of react. People put their own stuff into it. Right. So mm-hmm. they're telling you, well, what's good. You know, the, you're crazy. You're going to be too far away from your family because they're reacting how they would react. So you have to be careful, like to not take that on for you and start to say, you know, we didn't take the decision lightly, but yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the reality of, of marriage. Listen, we'll be married 20 years in, in 2020 and, I, before I got married, my aunt, who's I think 85 now and has been married for, I have no idea how many years, but a really long time told me, listen, everybody's going to tell you marriage is 50, 50. And that's not the reality. Marriage is more like 80, 20 and 90% of the time you're going to feel like you're on 20%. And you got to remember that. And that's it. But it is like, I think, you know, to recognize that, that there's going to be times when you really feel like you're on that 20%, but you know, sometimes you're going to roll around to that 80%. And I think when I talk about what Mike did, that's that, that was his, that was definitely his 20%. And it, and, and, but you know what, he took it on and said, okay, we're going to try this and don't know that he would have done it longer than three years, but said, okay, hey. you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and, and got a lot, took what he could out of the experience and, you know, kind of came back and had to, you know, had to resume a career. And I, you know, I think about that just to flip that around. If you've been a stay at home mom, you know, I think women think that's insurmountable and it's hard, but it, you know, like I said, if you put your mind to it, then, you know, you can get through anything, but. Did you get, did you feel pressure within your own family? Like, what do you, do you really think this is appropriate to ask him to do that? Did you get that? Um, it wasn't so much about that. It was more about the kids and how, what was going to happen. You know, the kids didn't speak French and, um, you know, when were you going to come back and what if something happens? You know, the biggest thing I got from my friends is like, what, 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 what are you going to do if something happens with, you know, a family member when you're there? And it's like, well, we would do the same thing we would do if we lived in the U S you know, we would come home you know, we live, it's not like we live next door to anybody now, right. you know, and it's not, I think people, you know, I don't know, maybe other people do, but you know, you still talk to your family on the phone. You still FaceTime, you still have a relationship with them. 
it still exists, albeit with a time difference. But I don't think everybody spends 24-7 with their extended family unless they happen to live with you, uh, for instance. Like I do now. Uh, okay, well, yes, exactly. <laughs> My mother-in-law lives with so us. There. Right. So that's a different situation. But our situation wasn't that. So it it just, it people put a whole lot of pressure on that relationship. Like, well, we're never going to see you. Well, no, you don't see me all the time now. Right. Um, and I think it's just the idea of it, that it would be so much harder kind of paralyzes people and it paralyzed us a little bit in the beginning too. Um, but I think, yeah, like, yeah. So yeah, he had to come home. He had to start, restart his career and, um, you know, like anything else, it's nothing's forever. And you just kind of, you figure out what you get. I mean, as a family, that experience changed us as a family because it, you know, it's like survivor, you know, you throw four people in a foreign country that don't speak the language and see how they do and, you know, kind of change their lives. And we only had each other. And the, you know, that, that first time before we built a network and built friends, it was just us. Right. And it made us so much closer as a family. So for that alone, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Well, and it's, it, it, and you can't predict how that's going to work out. Right? right. You sort of jump into it now, right. now looking back on it, you see the good and the bad. Yes. Right. But, but when you were making those decisions, you don't have that, you don't have those optics, right? right. You just can't see it. Yeah. But I, I also think it's interesting. We were talking about this a little bit before we started to, to jump on the podcast about the idea that uh, what Mike did was he gave you time and game, right? Yeah. He lets you stay in the game yeah. and keep going on the path that you needed to pursue. Yeah. And we talked about how hard that is for women to do when yeah. you start having children, yeah. that there was those, those pivots that you have to make. And um, he allowed you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So that's, it, it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, this has been, I think a great, journey. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. This is so much fun. It was really neat. I always love when I sit down, as long as I've known you, you just learn little things yeah, that exactly. you didn't know, right? <laughs> yeah. um, like the singing, like, do you still do that? What do you do for fun? Do you still, do you sing? Do you, uh, do, you do anything on the art side? Cause it sounds like that's a, that's a big part of you that so I didn't I know. I sing a lot at home. My kids don't really like it, but I, um, <laughs> I do. And I did, I, I had this like really, um, uh, I don't know even how, what adjective I would use for this, but I, I joined the contemporary choir at our church and it was a disaster in the fact that work was so bad at the time. Like I could barely make rehearsals. And then we were like kind of building our lives around when Lori sang at mass. And it just became one of those things that it was like, all right, we got to pull the plug on this. Like this is making our lives infinitely harder. Um, <laughs> but I, I loved it, you know, because, uh, I, I got to sing, but no, I, um, I, I work out. Um, I travel. We travel a ton, even though I do for work. Um, we are really big travelers. Um, that's about it. But yeah, if you can, you can come over sometime and, you know, I'll be singing to Alexa, but my oh, kids wow. have their headphones on. Like, ah. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. Well, I can't sing. And, and, and if I'm ever in the car one day I was in the car with Maya and she goes, dad, I will jump out of this car. Oh my gosh, I will open the door so and funny. jump out of the car. This is so bad. No one should, should be subjected to this. But. Yeah. No, I just randomly sing just to annoy them. Well, again, I, I thank you. This was really a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, wasn't yeah, so bad, was it? No, no. Way worse than, or way better than I. Way <laughs> worse. <laughs> it was way worse. Kurt. Okay. There's a Freudian <laughs> slip for you, right? No, thanks for having me. No, really. this is great. Thank you again. And, uh, you know, 
good luck on, 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 on the next chapter. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll get back together and do this again. Yeah, sometime. exactly. Take care. Thanks.